Welcome to the Puberty Prof Podcast, where information and tools are shared to help you have conversations about puberty and other growing up topics. Here is your host, Lori Reichel, the Puberty Prof, a nationally recognized health educator, author of the award-winning book, Common Questions Children Ask About Puberty, and creator of the Talk Puberty app. And welcome to the Puberty Prof Podcast. I'm your host, Lori Reichel, the Puberty Prof. As I mentioned in previous episodes, I'm a former school health teacher who now trains future health teachers. And ever since I started teaching health education, I knew the importance of talking about certain safety concepts. These concepts include those dealing with setting personal boundaries, consent, healthy relationships, and unhealthy relationships. To help you all better understand these concepts, I invited Lauren Carlson to be on this episode. She has this positive energy. This is the first time I'm meeting her, yet right away I feel this positive energy and love coming from her in which she's an author of many books that are used by families and educators to help children learn about consent and how do we make sure we set these personal boundaries. So thank you so much, Lauren, for being here today. Would you mind saying hi to our audience as well as introduce more about who you are? Yes, thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited to be able to speak with you. I am a mother of three and the author of books intended to be used in schools. Uh, I have a book series called Consent for Kids which is broken down into grade levels, K to two, three to five, and six to eight, where we really just address how to set your own boundaries, how to respect the boundaries of others, and then also what to do when someone's not respecting those boundaries. And then I had a lot of people reach out to me and say, what do we do before K to two? And so I put together a children's book called My Body is My Own. And I was actually able to illustrate that book also. So it's doubly twice as um, part of me because it is uh, it is my story, it is my ideas, and also my art, which I love. It's called My Body is My Own. And it really just invites a family to begin the conversation of um, this is your space and this is my space and how can I understand that better? I didn't know that you were the illustrator for that book too. Yes. Yes. Those are my paintings. They're gorgeous. Thank you. Actually, three of the, one of the pictures has three kids in it and those are my kids. So my kids are in my book too. And they brag about that. (laughs) Wow. Because when I first saw it, when I, when I found out about who you are and you had said yes to being on my podcast, the puberty prof, and I thank you so much again for being here. I looked into your books and I actually had this pull and I, I didn't see on the bottom, it reads illustrated yeah. by you. It's beautifully illustrated Thank but you. the story also. I mean, just the, the storyline, if I call it like that. Right. It's very child friendly. Thank you. Yes. That's what I want it to be where it's not uncomfortable. I come from a family who uh, part of my family is very into, uh, we're just going to talk about everything and it's fine. And then, and there's also people who don't, really want to have any conversation. They're scared of the conversation that might lead to a sex talk. And so I like to leave it 
opened where I, I say, if you're uncomfortable, because everyone has a different level of comfort and, and it has nothing to do if someone touches you in a certain area, because it's truly just, does that make you uncomfortable? It's not about this is your private parts and this is where you're not supposed to touch. In my mind, if you're uncomfortable, that's all you have to say. So I do like to leave it open because everyone does have a different level of comfort. And, and all you're doing is inviting a child to figure out where that comfort level is. Well, before we continue, I just want to remind our audience that if anything that we talk about today, that Lauren and I talk about, if it triggers you in any way, please go talk with somebody that you trust. Please check in with, if you're a younger person and you're listening in, please check in with a trusted parent, educator, other caregiver. Please do that. If you're an adult, check in with a dear friend. You can look into your medical insurance to see if there's a support person. You can have even a one meeting time with, if not a longer sessions throughout like over weeks or months or something like that. So because we want you to be happy and healthy and there's a reason for why you're on this planet. So Lauren, you're focusing on this consent education. How do you tell a child what consent is? So I know that most people attach the definition of consent to mean something sexual, but the true definition of consent is an agreement for something to happen. So every time you're having a conversation about, can I have a chicken nugget off your plate or um, knock before you enter someone's door? Those are all conversations about consent. So I believe that if we, if we really broaden the definition of what we're teaching our children with consent, that we are truly just asking them to respect each other and allowing them to ask to be respected. So if we are teaching boys, you're allowed to say, I don't want to wrestle or I don't want to play tackle football, or I'm not okay with that level of joking. I believe that we are teaching consent and really taking all the sexual aspect out of it. And, and that later as sexuality comes with maturity, that, that it really, we, we have already taught people how to ask for what you want and how to respect what other people want. Yeah. I had another person on an episode, Mama Says Namaste, in which she talked about the example of two children meeting each other on a playground and instantly being best friends. And okay, I want you to come over to my house. Let's have a sleepover yet. Okay. Let's back up a little bit. We don't even know this person. So how do you like go step-by-step step and make sure that you actually feel comfortable that this person's going to be coming over and staying in her house, our personal space. Right. So sleepovers are actually a trigger for me. So as a mother, for me, I would just say, no, we don't do that. But for me, if you're not aware of, of that child, I mean, not knowing their parents, that would be something that would be very difficult for me personally. I, I truly don't believe that, that children can be safely left in someone else's home. So I, I wouldn't even invite that into my house until you are very familiar with that that parent and that family and understanding that your own child is safe. So yes, 
personally, that would take some uh, a long time of getting to know that person and their own boundaries and knowing that we're all on the same page because that's the the type of respect and the type of behavior I would need before I sent my own child to someone else's house. And you just said the word trigger in which you also have some personal background regarding this whole area of why we need to talk about these boundaries to empower young people. Right. Do you mind sharing anything about that? Sure. So I actually am the victim of rape. Um, I, I say the word victim purposely. I do not believe that I, I know that I survived it, but I, I know that everyone treats it differently. I also like to give the victim inside me the voice and I will always be the victim of rape even though I am trying to do whatever I can to, um, to make good things out of what I've learned. But, um, but I am the victim of rape. I was raped when I was 21. I was a virgin and I was engaged. So even though I was not technically a child, um, I, I do like to speak about how everyone reverts back to when they're victimized. I mean, no one is a powerful victim. You know, at the time we are all victimized and I really didn't know anything. I was a, like I said, I was a virgin. I had chosen not to have sex with my fiance for four years. And, um, and it was something that really changed so much about who I am. And I was so unsure about who I was after that. So, um, it did take so, so long, (laughs) so long to really first understand what happened. I was unconscious when it happened. And so understanding that, and then also, um, really dealing with all, all of everything since then. So my entire marriage has been, um, our engagement was, I was the person I used to be. And, and our entire marriage was really the, the first few years were really just me learning how to handle what had happened and, and deal with that. And now I was just supposed to be married and, and forget about it. You know, you, they say you get married and you just, oh, you just don't have to think about it anymore. And that was, uh, I, I deal so much with, with aftermath of how to help a victim because I was, I really was told this will just go away because you'll move and then you'll never have to think about it. But they don't understand that I'm not victimized by one person. I wasn't stalked by one person. I was now a victim to every person around me who I didn't know because I didn't know who was going to be the next unsuspecting person to really take everything from me. So, um, but it has been 15 years now and I, um, and I feel like I have information and knowledge that I, I wish I could go back and meet that 21 year old girl and just tell her because, um, and, and that's what I tried to do. I, I recently spoke with, um, a sorority at Loyola university in Chicago. And I really truly felt like I was speaking to that 21 year old girl that really just had no idea what she was about to be dealt, uh, dealt, you know, what, what hand she was about to be dealt. So, um, so that's what brought me here. And I do truly, it's taken many years, but I do feel blessed to be able to maybe help one person with, with, uh, what they're dealing with. 
Thank you for sharing that story. And I'm sorry that that experience happened. It saddens me that this type of behavior goes on. And I'm also so grateful to have you here and to talk about how you're helping others regarding letting them be informed. And I think it's interesting, too, that you bring up that little child within, because it seems like we have these patterns that we're taught when we're children and to help that child not just survive, but but thrive. Right. What do you recommend parents and other caregivers do regarding teaching children about boundaries, consent, and then going into sexual abuse? So I think that one of the best ways to prevent sexual abuse would be to really start as early as possible speaking to your children about their body is their own. That is why I named my book that my body is my own. And if you're understanding that and you, you unapologetically allow your children to say no to something that they do not like, you are setting them up for knowing that they can say no when something does cross a line. I speak about how grooming for children is is a, a totally different process than what I went through. Someone saw an opportunity and they took advantage of it. But grooming for children truly is your you're doing something slowly enough so that a child doesn't even know they're being abused. And that is so different from what I went through that it is so important for us to teach our children that if something's a little strange, it's okay to say no. It doesn't mean that anything potentially criminal was about to happen, but it is totally okay to say no to the small things. And so I think every time I allow my four-year-old to say privacy when she's changing her clothes, even though I know she's going to have me come in there <laughs> and help her. <laughs> or every time I knock when I, when I go in my child's room, or, or like I said earlier, every time I ask before I take a chicken nugget off your plate, I, I truly believe that I'm inviting them to say no. And every time I do it, Every time they say, can I sit on you? And I'm like, oh, you know what? I'm not really in the mood. And just be able to say no. They see me set boundaries and, and I'm allowing them to set boundaries. And it is not, you, every consent conversation does not have to be about a potential uh, sexual abuse. It truly is empowering your children to know that they're allowed to say no especially girls. I believe that girls in, in our culture are, are told to be people pleasers. And we are right. told to say yes. <laughs> and we're told to say yes. And we're told to smile and we're supposed to, and do girls act that way? And I have, I, I go into a lot with then all of the negative things that boys are taught also. It's definitely not a one-sided street, but this is the one part where I really do believe that girls are taught, did a guy did he take you out to dinner though? Then, then what do you feel he is owed? Or, or if a guy's paying attention to you, uh, so you, you should, you should just say yes to him when he asks you to the dance. 
and I think that all of those things are very detrimental. You're setting your child up for, um, for them not being sure that they're allowed to say no. Yeah, I just feel it in my gut, in my soul, that if we're able to empower children when they're younger, when they reach those years of being asked out or being asked, even if it's not done verbally, in which it should be done verbally, but being like insinuated they're supposed to do something sexual, that they're like, nope, I don't want to do this. That's not me. I don't like that. Even if you did it before, nope, nope that it's going to strengthen them as they get older. Right. And, and as much as, even if you just said, no, no, you know what? I'd rather just sit here. And it's not even um, like you're turning someone down. It's really just where, where else in life do you have to feel bad? Uh, You know, we can say no to cake or we can say, no, I don't want more coffee. And I don't feel guilty about that. So, the, the idea that something's so personal now, there's like this agreement that we think you might think I owe you. And now I have to worry about what you think is owed and, and things like that. Like I, I, in high school, I remember being called a tease. And I think that what a tease is, is just not a slut. So, <laughs> so you, as a girl, you were either one of those. Mm-hmm. And I really didn't like being called a tease, but I think all that meant was I wasn't having sex with people. So then they would just call me a tease, but there's no middle ground. There's no just, Oh, she didn't tell me she was going to have sex with me. And then she didn't, you know, there's no, (laughs) there's no neutral. You're either one or the other. And I really didn't like being called a tease, but I I also really wouldn't have liked being called a slut. I'm sure I do, but but it is so strange that you're, you can only be one of those. You can't just be a woman who's also just saying no when she wants to say no. So I think all of those things as, and, and boys, I feel like they go through it differently, but girls have a different set of expectations that are put on them. And, and for a lot of times, I believe that we put them on ourselves later because we have we have heard it just be nice or just go hug that person for so long. Something we have in common. I was also called the tease. Yeah. Well, good. All that <laughs> means is you aren't the slut, I guess, or, or, <laughs> but, it, but you're right. I never thought of it that way that, you know, if somebody did choose to do something, you know, they, they don't have to be judged on that. Cause that's, right. I know Peggy Orenstein's book, girls and sex. She, uh, she interviews so many young females about, being all those titles of, are you the slut? Are you this? But where is that? Yeah. So no, I don't want to do something. Why do you have to label that? Why can't you let it be? It's a person's decision. Respect them. Right. So, and, and a lot of times, so this is my, my personal belief. I believe that as boys, what, what they go through when they're younger is they are not given the chance to have their feelings in so many cases. So boys are told just, you know, man up or uh, don't act like a girl or anything like that. And so they are told repeatedly, you are not allowed to have feelings. And so they're not taught then to respect other people's feelings because all they see is when someone's crying or when someone doesn't want to do something, you just say man up and tell them to do it. 
And I think what that does is then creates a generation of boys who are then trying to assert their own authority because they have only been demeaned as we have raised them. And, and the easiest way to assert authority is then is what I have, have come to believe is similar to what happened to me. I can assert, I can find a victim that is easily victimized. Like I said, I was unconscious when it happened. And I believe that this person was simply asserting their authority that had been taken from them for years and years because this was this is what we are doing to our boys when every time we tell them it's not okay for them to feel something or it's not okay for them to to want to say no. I mean, I, I have an 11-year-old son who is not the typical rough boy. And, and there are a lot of kids who are, you know, will say things like, what are you, just a baby? And I'm like, or he's just a boy who wants to say, eh, I don't really feel like getting muddy. And I love that every time. I am not going to make you do those things. With You want to play sports? Perfect. He wanted to play flag football. My son is not a flag football body type. He is a very slim, <laughs> but, but he wanted to play and we did. And it was great and he loved it. But also if he wants to say, oh, I don't really feel like getting dirty. That's perfect. Good. There is no law that says you have to. And I believe every time I'm empowering him to say, I don't feel like doing that. That, that I'm teaching him, it's okay. There's no law that boys have to do this. And, and then later we're, we're left with boys who understand, oh, you don't want to have sex? Perfect. Let's just watch a movie or something. That's what I'm hoping. I mean, that, that would be the ideal situation. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And good for you for providing that voice for your children. Now, certainly we can do whatever we can to teach children about the boundaries, what healthy relationships are, unhealthy relationships, what those characteristics are within unhealthy relationships, yet sometimes inappropriate behavior habits. Right. What would you recommend a parent or other caregiver say when they found out that this has happened? So I like to say that if no one has ever read my books or ever listened to me speak about this, that the only thing I would really, truly, the one thing I would want them to say or to hear me say is that if your child or, or anyone comes to you and says, this happened to me, the three things, the only three things you should say that day is, I believe you. It wasn't your fault. And you didn't deserve it. That's it. I speak very much about what my mother said when I first called her. I called her a month later. I had actually already been home for Christmas break and seen her for two weeks and did not tell her. But I called her later and told her. And the first thing my mom said was, okay, what are we going to do? And, and I love that there were no, how could this happen? Or what do you mean? And um, who was it? And what, how, why did you wait so long to tell me any of those things? Because all of those questions will be answered, she's gotten the answer to everything. She has asked all of her questions, but right then all I needed was her to say, okay, yeah, let's do, what are we going to do? You know, what's next? 
and she was allowing me to make the choice. She was allowing me, but, but offering support, but, um, but truly when someone comes to you, the only thing they need is, is to hear that, that you believe them because I've said this a thousand times. Children are so confused by someone doing something to them that they they've never thought of. So it's confusing enough for them. They're scared. And did they do this and self-blaming and self-doubt that really by the time they come to you, they're exhausted. You know, they're just looking for a place to land and you just want to say, I believe you, you know, I now as a parent, now it's your turn to take over. They've carried this burden, whether it was years or a day or anything that was that the journey that they've come to from this happening to coming to tell you is, is unthinkable for someone who hasn't gone through it. So truly all you need to say then is I believe you, it wasn't your fault and you didn't deserve this. Yeah. And I'm thinking if the parent is or other caregiver is feeling any sense of guilt that they could have prevented or they should have known, they also need to get support and talk with somebody about that. Right. Right. So um, I, I love to speak to parents about it. I know that there are so many I could have, or I would have. Um, and, and it's important to remember that predators, this is not their first rodeo. You know, it's not, they, they are not, they, they are good at what they do and that is how they keep doing it. So, um, you know, like, like you said, if someone comes to you and says, this is what happened to me. But as a parent also, I think it's incredibly powerful to know that, to remember that you also are allowed to say, no, that's crossing a boundary. So, so um, you know, where I speak about the grooming process and, and one very strong, strong um, step to that is where they are pushing boundaries in front of a parent or in front of a, of a teacher because they are then giving validation to the fact like, well, see your mom's right there and she's not stopping it. So as a mother, as me, who, who was raised a people pleaser and, and a polite girl who didn't know when to say no, I think it's incredibly powerful for if you are uncomfortable and you see a situation where maybe your child doesn't know, should they say something and should they stop something? That is when you definitely should. And it's, and I call them red flag behaviors. These are not things that are definitely criminal or definitely, um, or definitely, Hey, this person's definitely a sex offender. That's not what I'm saying. But when things are red flags, it's okay to stop a, a behavior, even if it's not lead, even if you're wrong, the worst thing that could happen is you have offended someone, but the best thing that could happen is you've stopped an abuse maybe before it happened because you are stopping the you're you're seeing noticing the grooming process and and it's possible that you're just going to stop further abuse but but your child sees you say nope and and they know that 
and they hear it and they say, oh, I can just say nope. And um, so I think that as a parent, there's so many things you can do when someone comes to you, but also just allowing people to set, seeing you set boundaries, saying, nope, that's sorry. We don't, you know, she's, she's 13 now, or we don't sit on people's laps anymore. You know, something like that, even as innocent in most cases as that is, it's important for you to say, no, I don't think we're going to do that. And, and you're showing your child how to say no, even in an uncomfortable situation. What are those red flag behaviors? So, okay. So there's a couple of things that I like to say, here's what parents should watch out for. Uh, number one is when someone is look is um, reaching out to your child outside of their role. So if a if a volleyball coach or a coach or a teacher is trying to talk to your child on social media, or if a babysitter is texting your child outside of of a reasonable reason to do so, those are stepping out of their roles. You know, if an uncle is trying to take your kid camping, anything that is outside of what you consider the normal role, that's definitely a red, red flag. And, and I always like to say, these do not mean that someone is definitely abusive, but it's a red flag and it's a data point. And I like to just, no, we're just going to notice it. So um, yes, stepping outside of their role to contact your child. Another is um, with your child. If suddenly your child is very, um, a sexual, either in like making jokes that they would never have made before, or if they are suddenly very affectionate in a way with you that they had never been before. It is some, sometimes children are, if depending on how young they are or how impressionable they are, they are taught, oh, oh, is this how we show love? So now I'm going to be very overtly sexual with you or with someone else. And that's definitely a red flag because those are learned behaviors. Right. So that means that there was something that that happened. Um, other other types of behaviors are, you know, for younger children, if suddenly someone starts peeing the bed or having uh, difficulty sleeping, you know, reverting back to childlike behaviors or, or a child suddenly doesn't like something that they really liked. If he just refuses to go to baseball practice or, you know, something that he previously loved, I think it's important to notice and not just to say, well, we're going to go anyway. And, and really talk about, I like to say to my children, what's, holding you back from going, from doing this, because I don't really need to know why you don't want to do it. I get, okay. But what is the thing that's holding you back? Because I think that that, that question really opens it up to, there's a lot of reasons you might not want to go, but, but I just, just tell me, you don't have to go, but let's talk about what it is. And sometimes it's not even that behavior. It could be a previous coach and now they're, they're nervous about a, a new coach or a new team. Or so I think that seeing those types of changes in, in your child is also very important and you should not ignore those. Thank you for explaining that. And, you reminded me that when I talk to future educators, I talk to them about professional distance. And 
I asked them to call me professor, doctor, miss, not by a first name because they're not my friend. They're not, it's nothing against them. It's that I'm their instructor and we need to have this, this professional distance. And I tell them, I'm, I need to model for you that when you're working with young people, you also need to do the same. No matter what age group you're working with, they're not your own children and they're not, you know, depending if you're working at the middle school, they're not potential people to date or to engage in certain behaviors with. No. Right. right. And you have to, you know, use techniques if you're coaching that you, if there's an app that you communicate through that it's for parents and that it's open, it's an open book that you're not anything that you're trying to hide. No, you shouldn't be around kids then. Right. Right. Yeah. Secrets are also, um, uh, uh, well, one, they're a trigger for me, but, but, but beyond that secrets, anytime you're teaching a child to keep a secret, um, even if it, if it's what you would consider an innocent secret, I believe that you're opening that child up to not understanding that we don't, we don't keep secrets. So you, there should be no secret that you are keeping from a trusted adult. So um, I, I like to say that for, for children five and under, they should really be able to have five trusted adults. And they are the people that they can go to when they're not sure about something. And the best way to speak about that is just ask them, hey, who would you, who would you go to if I weren't here? Mm-hmm. And, and for children, it's different. Mostly it'll be children their teachers or a, a doctor or maybe a neighbor or an aunt, whoever is their close other relative. And I think it's just really important to talk about that because also your children might say, oh, the bus driver. And maybe it's not someone that they know very well. And then you can talk about that. Hey, is that really someone that we know? Or is that just someone you see every day? Mm-hmm. But as your child gets older, they really will have three or four trusted adults where they are allowed to ask questions. But I, I always make a point to say to a child that if you question a trusted adult, that's why we have other trusted adults because Mm -hmm. someone, you know, someone, a predator will definitely find their way into that role if we allow it, but it's, it's totally okay. There's no secrets from any of the trusted adults, because that breaks down the the check system where we are really allowing our child to say, oh, I'm not sure about that. Well, how do you handle the situation of, I agree with the let's not keep secrets, but let's say there's something like a surprise party. You know, so how does that get differentiated for children? Right. So in my world, we say surprises. I have a surprise for dad and I am very careful to say these are not secrets because everyone will find it out. Mm-hmm. You know, it's not a secret that I bought a car. It's just a secret until he sees it or something like that. So those are surprises because someone will be surprised. Secrets, on the other hand, are something you are never supposed to tell someone. And, and that's a word that I really do not like. There should be no secrets from adults or from your trusted adults. There may be surprises and, and that can be confusing, except that the idea is a surprise is meant to be found out. So that really is a a differentiation that, 
that I think kids can, can get on board with. Now that's fantastic. That's a great way to differentiate both. Now, if a young person is listening in and they have been inappropriately touched, if they've been abused, what do you have to say to them? I think if anyone feels that something that a, that a boundary has been crossed, that, that they are allowed to speak to any of their trusted adults about it. So go and talk to someone because we will believe you and go, go and tell your mother or go and tell a teacher or go and tell uh, your, uh, a grandparent, um, because these are not things that people need to deal with alone. And these are not problems that people can solve alone. It, there are resources out there that some children or some young people just cannot access by themselves. And, and it's, it's okay. Um, in so many situations, victims believe that they are saving their parents the pain by not telling them by saying, um, well, if you, you know, the threats and the, um, the lies that a predator will, will tell a victim by saying, if you do this, my, uh, the fear that that's put into them, what will happen to your parents if they find out? Um, and all of those things are just tactics to keep someone silent. Truly the only thing that's protecting a predator is your own silence. Because if everyone knew they would know how wrong it was. So as a victim, if there's anyone out there who, even if it was 10 years ago, I think that the best thing to do is give light and, and, and get your own support by telling someone, because we will believe you. Say if a child does go to one of those trusted adults and maybe something happened to that adult in the past and they're trying to shove it under the right. carpet. Right. Yes. Uh, I mean, certainly I would think we say go to the next and that's in the health education world, like in the classroom setting, we do this thing where we have children outline their hand and then they write down specific people of who could be a trusted adult for them specifically as possible. So if it's Miss Reichel, we put down that name right. or we draw their their face and then try to teach them that if maybe Miss Reichel isn't available that day or right. she's not listening that day to go to another person on that hand. Oh, that's great. I've never heard that, but that's, I mean, that's a perfect illustration. Yeah, no, that's perfect. You know, if, if someone uh, in an ideal world, every adult is ready to help and save and protect every child. And that's just not the world we live in. And as much as I wish we could change that, yes, parents are dealing with their own uh, or, or adults are dealing with their own set of, of battles, but um, we are, all we can do is, is hopefully empower a child to know that their voice is important and someone will, someone will step up the way that they need to. And, and, and it may not be someone that we want it to be. 
but, but there are people out there who want to help, you know, like I, every time I speak to a child about it, I hope that then they see me as an ally. I don't need to be someone's trusted adult because I, I don't know everyone that as well, but I hope at least I can be an ally for them that they see that there truly are people out there who are ready to be that person who's fighting for, for you and for your safety and to protect you. And to let you know, there are some resources that exist out there that we, at the schools, we can tell families, we can tell children, and there's the National Child Abuse Hotline. There's also Darkness to Light. There's the National Children's Alliance Organization, and then Stop It Now. That's another one. And all of these are listed on rain.org. It's R-A-I-N-N.org. And that's an organization that actually focuses a lot on sexual violence. So those are resources out there. Earlier, before we started recording, Lauren, we were talking about sometimes the person pointing out an issue whether it be in the family or at work, it's pointing out that elephant in the living room. Right. And you referred to the carpet analogy. Would you mind sharing that with us? Sure. So for after my uh, attack, I very rarely spoke about it. Everyone that was important to me knew. I mean, my parents knew, my husband knew, um, my therapist knew, but, um, but I wasn't out there bringing it up. And there were so many times that I felt it would have fit in the conversation, but it was not polite for me to talk about it. So I, I just didn't. And I then felt like I was suffering alone, where now not only did I suffer a huge loss, but I also didn't have the right to talk about it. So through almost a decade, um, I have figured out that I'm happier when I do speak about it. And I've told my husband that I'm never going to stop talking about it, that this could make for some very awkward Christmas dinners, but that if it comes up in a conversation and, and, um, and if it fits and if we're speaking about children's safety, that I'm going to bring it up because it's my right and it's my story and I'm allowed. So someone years ago told me that a family who is used to brushing things under a rug, that the person who then comes to move the rug is is often blamed for the mess. But see, I didn't make this mess. I'm just no longer allowing it to be there. So while I did uncover the mess because I was tired of it being there, I am the one who is then often blamed for the uncomfortable conversation, but the uncomfortable situation was already there (laughs) and I'm just the one who's talking about it. And so that really has become my, my outlook on, on life that I I don't have to be polite any longer and and hold back what I'm thinking when truly this was not something I chose um and and holding it 
in a similar way, it's like when someone has a miscarriage and we're just told, well, you know, we just don't, well, don't tell us that you're pregnant until you're, you're 13 weeks because we wouldn't want to be sad when you lose the baby. And I feel like those things are so similar. Like you're making us uncomfortable when you talk about your trauma and I'm no longer doing that. If my trauma makes you uncomfortable, then maybe you should get on board and help us educate children so that we, we no longer, we can have less trauma in the world. But, um, but my trauma is not, I'm, I'm no longer obligated to just create your comfortable world where you can pretend that this didn't happen. I asked you to share that because I'm sure somebody is listening in, in which they recognize they pointed out something that wasn't healthy, whether it be in their family, in a romantic relationship. And then they got blamed like, no, like you're creating a mess. But as you said, the mess was already there. It already occurred. You're the one saying, okay, there it is. How can we resolve this? Right. And how many situations was someone abused um, sexually by, by a parent? And then now this, this child, you know, grew up and had children of their own and having to watch that same parent or that same, the person who allowed that parent to do that, to continue to do these. And you see these behaviors. And like you said earlier, there are so many times that maybe someone is okay with a behavior, but once it touches my child, literally or figuratively, it is a whole different ball game. And that's sad that we as we as women, a lot of times will put up with things until it reaches someone else. And that's what I, as a mother, want to teach other mothers that actually you are doing a better job of protecting your children if they see you not put up with those behaviors. But there are so many times where women have not been able to do that yet until it is with a child and we are pointing things out. And then suddenly you are that person who just can't let it go or, or whatever phrase they want to say to you that will make you feel bad about something that was done to you. There's, there's so many times that someone says um, something like, oh, well, that happened to you. That's actually one thing that I try to teach my husband. Nothing, it didn't just happen. It was actually purposely done to me. So it's not like I just tripped and fell. Like, it's not just like an earthquake just happened. This attack was purposely done to me. So I'm very careful with my words and maybe people don't understand it. But when people say something, I say, I'm sorry that was done to you because it didn't, it, it's not rain. It didn't just happen, you know? And I think that even if we just change that idea, it's not, you're not the rape victim. Like you actually, you know, you, you're, this person is a rapist and you just happen to be there. It's not your story. You know, it's, it's theirs. They did this. So just things like that, where we can just in small ways, make, make victims feel a little bit less like this is about you than it is about about that predator, you know, and we can hopefully take some of the self guilt off, which I know definitely that took me a a decade. You're making me 
try to remember what I had said <laughs> earlier if I use that because I think that's something we commonly say. I'm sorry right. that that happened. Right. And instead, right. No, I, I think I think most people do say it, and and it's um, and and I, I mean it is not bad, but I do think it's it's more inclusive or it's more understanding uh, to to tell someone that no, it really it ha- it it didn't happen to you. It was done to you. And, and ch- children, a lot of times think, oh, well, maybe if I just hadn't gone there, but it, it's not just a, a chance, you know, I mean, it's this person picked you out and did this on purpose. And I think that taking some of the blame, even just that tiny bit of the blame off of, of, of a person um, can, can help in, in ways that we don't know. Do you have any other thoughts or recommendations for our listeners, Lauren? I think that whether you're a parent or a caregiver or, or a really amazing uncle or anything like that, that the best thing you can do is always try to empower your, the little ones around you to know that they are important and, and allow them to give you a hug when they want to. Or allow them the privacy that they believe that they want at that time. Because every child will really come to privacy at a different time. But like I said, my four-year-old demanding that she gets alone time (laughs) to change, even though she won't get that shirt off. (laughs) But I think that understanding that truly making your child feel like their opinion matters can can go a long way to preventing abuse because we're empowering our children to say no at that very first uncomfortable situation. And that's not always going to happen, but I believe that that it's the best way to try to combat that. And then further, if someone has been abused, we are telling them that it's your it's your right to come and tell us, you know, you are allowed to come and tell us and and we will believe you. Thank you. And if somebody would like to find out more about the books that you've written or get in contact with you, how could they do that? My books are available on Amazon. The book series is called Consent for Kids. Uh, And then my children's book is called My Body is My Own. Uh, They are also on my website, which is called Imperfectly Bold, because that is definitely me. Not perfect, but always bold. (laughs) Imperfectlybold.com or, and then everything's available on Amazon. And I'm on Facebook some, but I try, I try to stay away mostly. But yes, I, I would, I love for people to reach out. I love for people to share stories and truly anytime someone buys a book, I am proud to believe that, that it is at least one conversation someone's having with, with a child about boundaries. And it makes me proud to be a part of that. I will make sure I have your link for imperfectly bold. I will put that link in this episode's description for sure. And again, I thank you so much for your passion for helping others. 
and I admire your boldness and your honesty. <laughs> Thank you. Oh, you're so <laughs> not, not <laughs> I think it's taken my husband a couple of years to get new, used to like the real, you know, this is this is not quite the person that he married and I am glad that he embraces it. <laughs> but yes, it is um it is a pleasure every time I get to speak about it. I truly believe that we are taking away the stigma that comes with becoming with being a victim of something and that we're allowing people to just be totally honest about who they are. Yeah. Well, thank you again. And if anybody that's been listening in, you want more information, again, go to imperfectlybold.com. Also, if something that was said here triggered you, please reach out to one of your trusted adults if you're a young person or a trusted friend. If you're older, somebody at your work in your household, you are worth being on this planet and you deserve to be happy and healthy. So with that, I thank you all for listening, and I hope you have a happy and healthy day. Thank you for listening to the Puberty Prof Podcast, where information and tools are shared to help you have conversations about puberty and other growing up topics. Did you enjoy this episode? Please like, share, and subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. You can also follow the Puberty Prof on Twitter or Instagram. The Puberty Prof, Lori Reichel, wants to hear from you. Go to pubertyprof.com or click on the link in this episode's description. There you can find more information, as well as ask questions to be answered by the Puberty Prof in a future episode. That's pubertyprof.com. Also, remember to check out the Talk Puberty app and the book, Common Questions Children Ask About Puberty. Until next time, this is the Puberty Prof Podcast where information and tools are shared to help you have conversations about puberty and other growing up topics.